welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. It's one of my favourite things. It's a lovely thing actually just to see the beautiful mess when God's people minister to one another and, and when you have the privilege of standing here, you, you see, you know, weeping and spirit clearly manifesting in some people and I think more important, just the love that's being expressed. It's a lovely thing. Well, this is the uh, second in our Living Faith uh, series, journeying through the Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, learning from some of the great uh, biblical uh, heroes of the faith. And it seems appropriate to be thinking together about faith today, uh, straight after the England match yesterday, as faith rises uh, throughout England very conscious, some people will be listening to recording and you will know the future and who knows. But right now there's this hashtag, it's coming home. And I don't know about you, when I, whenever I hear, see, read that uh, hashtag, I have a mixture of emotion, emotions. There's definitely the part of me that goes, come on, you know, could this be 1966? Are we going to do it? You know, there's hope. But there's also that I can't bear it again. Oh no, I loved it when we were being cynical and Gareth Southgate was saying, expect nothing. I can't bear it. We're starting to believe again. And I suspect that's exactly how many of us feel when we enter a series looking at faith. That mixture of emotions of believing, daring to believe, Daring to trust God, being willing to be abandoned and take risks, and yet that thing of, but I've been hurt. I've been disappointed. It's not straightforward. Maybe you feel that about your relationship with God. God, can I really trust you? Maybe you feel it about committing to church. Maybe you've been hurt by churches in the past. Do I dare to go there again? Maybe there is some new venture in your life. That there's a couple in this church who, who became followers of Jesus a couple of years ago and uh, then um, uh, tragically lost a baby. And we all just, our hearts broke. You know, our hearts just broke. And, and, and being there at, at the little funeral and that baby in a coffin the size of a shoebox. And then the joyous news came through 24 weeks ago. We're, we're pregnant again. And we, there's this mixture, isn't there, of yes, praise God and faith. But there's also that bit of, oh, I'm scared. And so far, it's all looking good, isn't it? All the scans are good. It's all, it's all looking brilliant, and we are so encouraged. But f- that's far more important than football. It's this journey of faith and belief and trying to trust God blended in with fear and disappointment and heartbreak. It's coming home, or is it? The whole world is... Um, you know, interest in faith, actually. Muse released a single last year called 
digging in and the chorus goes, you've got to find faith, you've got to find faith. Many of my friends are not Christians. Regularly, this is not just one-off, regularly you'll have the same say to me, I wish I had your faith. As if it's this kind of trick, <laughs> this kind of natural aptitude, a superpower that I've got, you know. <laughs> like, well, you can. <laughs> G- Jesus, um, it's interesting, I was doing a study on this. One of the most frequent things, it might even be the most frequent thing he says when he meets a stranger, is about their faith. He either commends them for their faith, or he criticizes them for their unbelief. And I wrestled with that word criticism, because we don't like to think of Jesus being critical or negative. But actually, he's blooming challenging. And the number of times, it's not just once or twice, it's at least a dozen, he looks at someone and says, you have little faith. You know, why have you got so little faith? I despair. <laughs> and Hebrews, uh, as we saw last week with Christian's brilliant uh, session, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 says, without, uh, sorry, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. So this is super important. So how on earth do we get more of this stuff? How do we grow in faith? Well, let's look uh, together at... Um, Uh, Hebrews 11, we're going to look at the life of Abraham and Sarah today. Uh, Hebrews 11, we're going to read verses uh, from verse 8. So Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Notice he obeyed and went before he got it, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. The word for strangers there in the Greek is xenoi, from which we get xenophobia. There's a sense that we are refugees, aliens, foreigners in this life. So any notion that faith and the promise of God are just going to make your life on this earth somehow more comfortable are not. True, we are aliens and strangers. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Abraham and Sarah epitomize faith. So uh, you will be surprised to learn as you 
uh, behold this fine figure, a man before you, that I attend a gym, uh, actually quite regularly. Uh, my problem is that when I get to the gym, like Bill sends me sort of workout plans involving things like uh, burpees and scrunchies, and I, I don't even know what he's talking about. <laughs> I just sort of piddle around at the gym, basically. But I, I, I'm well-meaning. And um, I've never really wanted to waste money on buying proper gym kits, so I basically turn up in beachwear. And um, there's these different sections in the gym, both sort of geographically and uh, demographically, really. You've got the free weights areas for the crazy muscular men I call head shrinkers. You know, it's like they are getting... So By the way, if you look at a chicken, its head is smaller than its neck. That's never a good sign. Uh, humans don't do that to yourself. It's bad. It's a bad look. And, and, but they're, anyway, they're there, like massive muscles, you know, and I'm too scared to go over there. I don't even know what to do. I'd get a hernia. And then there's the area with mats and whale music for, like, classes for super fit women. I'm just terrified of going over there. And then there's the area where I feel most at home. It basically is full of sort of toys and bicycles and stuff. And it's really for OAPs and post-pregnancy women and me. And I, I just kind of loiter in that area in my beach kit. And, and, and I'm very uh, consistent. And um, you may ask why, um, when you look at Bill Kuzak, who is equally regular at the gym, he looks like a man mountain. I look like a man mound. And the answer is that he does it you know, properly. He, he does the resistance work. Uh, and faith, as has often been said, is a muscle. It is something we can grow in strength uh, in. It is uh, something that as we exercise faith, we get bigger faith muscles. And I know this is true. I may be a bad example physically, but I do know that it's true spiritually. I've experienced this in my own life. I think back to the very start of the 24-7 prayer movement where the sum total of my faith was trying to pray in a computer. And it was like, oh, maybe we could get a computer. Wouldn't that be like revival? And now we've got lots of computers and let's just say there's a lot more zeros on every single equation. But in 18 years, we've never failed to pay one bill, one salary, nothing. God has been faithful. And so I look back at that track record, and I find it much easier to have faith for the future because I see how faithful God has been in the past. Amen? And I mean, it doesn't mean we've not had heartbreak and disappointment along the way, but the, the big narrative arc is, oh my goodness, you've been faithful to all your promises, even the, through the times I didn't understand what you were doing. And, um, and, then, and then let's just take a recent example. Um, God speaks and tells us to do wildfires, to gather people. He say, I, I, want, I want you to call people together, to build friendships. I want to speak to people. I want to minister to people. I want to release some new things in the nation. And I wasn't sitting around thinking, I'm a little bit bored. I need more to do in my life. I was already quite busy. And I definitely had no desire to run a festival because I don't even like camping. And, and I'm like, are you serious? But when God speaks, you learn to obey. The most dangerous thing you can ever do is say no to the God who knows everything and has got the best for your life. The safest thing you can ever do, even though it may look the riskiest, is to say yes to the God who's got the best for you. And so I'm learning gradually, and I often get it wrong like Jonah 
God speaks and I head off to Tarshish in the opposite direction. But I'm, I'm gradually learning when God speaks to say yes and to be obedient. And then it's always wonderful what happens because he's faithful. And so with wildfires, we thought, okay, here we go. And can you imagine sitting around trying to, with Excel sheets and trying to budget for an event that's never happened before and you don't know how many people are going to come? I mean, it's just impossible. Even just advertising, we just have to steal everyone's photographs and pretend it was us. And, um, <laughs> and uh, well, you, you did notice there were photos of an event that had never happened before, didn't you? Um, we have our own now. It's very exciting. And, uh, so, so, you know, and there was this one moment, just take one detail out of the whole nightmare of how do you even do this um, were, were, as uh, conversation, should we have an offering? Some of you have heard this. It's amazing. Have you, should we have an offering? We thought, yeah, it's biblical. We have an offering. And someone said, should the offering be built into the budget? And we thought, yeah, it probably should. So then some bright spot goes, well, how much should we expect to get in the offering? I'm, are you serious? We don't know how many people will be there. We don't know what type of people. Let's be honest. You might look at them and go, that's a minted crowd, you know. Or you might look out and go, we'll be lucky to get a book token. You, you know, we, we have no metric for projecting this. And Mike Andrea who's got much more faith than me, goes, yeah, I've got faith for um, 35 grand in the offering. I'm like, you have? Blimey. So some, someone writes, 35,000 offering, done. And it's all fine. You think nothing of it. You've had a couple of espressos. And then you find yourself in a filthy great blue tent in a field and the offering time, and you suddenly go, 35,000, this lot, they're not minted. I can look at the state of them. Some of them are just falling apart. They barely dress themselves. And then Mike wanted to do the offering, and stupidly we let him, and he stood up, and he was a bit overtired, bless him, and he forgot to give any of the basic facts, and he basically yelled at people. <laughs> Not good, you know. And he didn't tell people how much we needed to raise, and someone behind me said, we'll be lucky to get 15,000. And I was agreeing with them. And then a few days later, Mike texts me, do you want the tallies from the offering then, Pete? I'm like, not really, no. And he sends them through, it's 35,087 pounds. <laughs> like, how does that happen? So I asked my 87 pounds back, the only person in the tent that <laughs> clearly heard God wrong. <laughs> Out of the will of God again. It's silly, isn't it? But do you know what? It's in telling those stories that we're reminded of the faithfulness of God. And you can imagine how that will make me a little bit more willing to take another risk or add another zero next time because it is in remembering the faithfulness of God that we find faith. And there are just, I'm going to go through these very quickly, but there are three questions that are embedded in this text, but I think are very helpful for each one of us to ask ourselves regularly as we um, seek to grow in faith, build those faith muscles. And the questions are these. Firstly, we have to regularly ask ourselves, what has God said to me, to us? What's God said? The second thing is this, what's God like? And the third thing is, where am I heading? So, What's God said? What's God like? Where am I heading? So first of all, what's God said? Abraham and Sarah, we read in verse 8, obeyed and went. Three words, simple. They obeyed and went. God spoke, they obeyed, they went. And then we read in verse 9, they pitched their tent in the land of promise. Visualize that. They pitched their tent in the land 
of promise. They're not like, this is the country. We now have a national anthem and like, you know, armed guards. It's just a blooming great bit of wilderness. But they pitched their tent because somehow they believed this was their promised inheritance. They knew precisely what God had told them to do. And they obeyed in a very practical way. Do you know, it's possible, I've thought about this a lot, that God called someone else to be Abraham. God might have given that promise or that call to lots of other people. Hey, I want to give you a land. I want you to make a father of nations. And that successions of people just weren't willing to obey. They weren't willing to step out and go. It's just possible that Abraham was just the first one that God called who then responded. There is something about movement that attracts the favor of God. There is something about obedience that galvanizes the promises of God into action. If God is speaking to you and you don't obey, you might miss out on something. I really mean that. He obeyed. He pitched his tent in the land of promise. Anyone here uh, ever seen Peter, the, the Peter Pan show? I don't mean the Disney movie. I mean actually gone to a, a theater and seen Peter Pan. Any, anyone here? Brilliant. There are a few of you. A few theater professionals indeed. And there's this bit in the Peter Pan show that where, where um, Tinkerbell has been poisoned by Captain Hook. Captain Hook? Tinkerbell? Peter Pan? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, um, and so Tink- Tinkerbell's light is failing. <laughs> and, uh, and someone says to the, uh, the audience, Tinkerbell will die unless you clap your hands and say, I believe in fairies. Should we try it? <laughs> Come on then. Come on, Tinkerbell's dying, everybody. Ready? You've got to clap your hands. I believe in fairies. My goodness. It's pathetic. Is, here's the question. Is that really what we're doing? We just call it faith. Are we just clapping our hands and trying to persuade ourselves we believe in fairies? Are we, are we, are we here, like, hands in the air, singing our songs, I believe in Jesus, just trying to egg ourselves into something that's not really true. Is that what we do at church? Verse 1 of Hebrews 11 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That means that we are people who are looking forward, not just with wistful longing, I believe in fairies, but with utter conviction founded in the word of God and the faithfulness of God. There is a factual foundation to our faith. We are confident and we are assured because of the word of God. Romans chapter 4. Uh, The whole chapter actually is about the faith of Abraham. And verses 18 to 21 says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. 
so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. Remember muscles? Strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Abraham was fully persuaded by God's promise. And so he obeyed. Let's stop clapping for fairies and start claiming the promises of God in prayer. In my own life, I was convicted about this uh, uh, several years ago now that I was praying vague prayers about just, you know, God bless this and God bless that. And I felt God saying, but what do you actually want me to do for you? You you know where Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, it'll be done. So you're like, well, how do I know if it's in the name of Jesus? Well, here's the answer. If he's promised it, then it is his purpose. And if it is his purpose, it is his will. And if it is will, then when you pray it into being, you will see miracles. We have no right to expect God to do something he hasn't promised to do. But the window onto the purposes of God are the promises of God. And so I took a a day aside to seek God for certain areas in my own life and say, I want to know what your word is, what your promise is for these areas of my life. One of them was was specifically for me, myself. One was for Sammy, uh, some promises for Sammy. And um, some of those around her health, we'd seen a lot of healing, but not full healing. I realized I was settling for that, and, and God was calling me, now I have more, I'm asking you to contend for more healing. Some was for our two sons. Uh, there was uh, promises for Emmaus Road. Uh, there were promises for 24-7. And by the end of the day, I didn't just have some nice thoughts. I had things I really strongly sensed were words from God for me, for Sammy, for our boys, for Emmaus, and for 24-7. Those promises have become the bedrock of my prayers for my own life, for Sammy, for our sons, for Emmaus, and for 24-7. And so when I'm praying, I'm not clapping for fairies. I am claiming those. You've said it, now you do it. Let your will be done. So I want to gently challenge you today. Do you know what God has promised you, both generally as Christians, but specifically in your life, your marriage, your lack of a marriage, your, 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 your workplace. Why has God put you here? What is his purpose? What is his promise? And if you're saying to me, Pete, I haven't really got time in the next few weeks to take a day out to seek God and, you know, do all that stuff you said. I'd like to do it, but you know it's a bit busy next week or two. Then I can encourage you to cheat in the next week or two. And all you have to do is Google uh, best Bible promises. You're going to get spammed like mad. You're going to get ridiculous adverts for all sorts of things. But, but Google it, and then you'll get a list. And then go through them and say, is there a promise here in the Bible that I really feel like strongly that's for me or that's for my workplace or that's for my marriage? And then I want to encourage you to take that promise and to just pray it in every day. So when you're saying let your kingdom come in my workplace, it's not just a vague thing. It's let that thing that you've promised happen in my context 
uh, today, Lord. Maybe you do know what some of the promises over your life are, but they are being contested. Or maybe you're just sitting around saying, well, God said it, so I guess it's going to happen one day. And the Bible says no. You have to partner. If Abraham had just stayed in the city of Ur, I'm not sure he would have become the father of nations. He went and he obeyed and he pitched his tent in the land of promise. You have to pitch your tent in the land of promise. What does that mean, really, practically? It means that you begin to live as if the thing is definitely going to come to pass. Now, I'm not talking about being totally wacko. Uh, you know, and, and, and believing things to be true that simply aren't. But, but like, for example, in our own life, oh, um, when I was 17, 18, I felt like God was speaking to me about doing this, about preaching. But I had absolutely no opportunity to do so. No one ever asked me to speak up. Everyone asked me to shut up. And, and I couldn't see how it was ever going to happen. But I believe God had spoken to me. And so I began to put down the trashy novels I'd been reading and start reading these earnest Christian books because I thought, I'm going to study. I'm going to get ready for whenever that happens. I believed God had spoken. I was pitching my tent. I, I got hold of a big old scrapbook. It's really embarrassing. It's still on my shelf at home. I would hate any of you to see it. And I wrote on the front, notes, quotes, and anecdotes. <laughs> and it's full of just stuff yellowed old newspaper cuttings. Does anyone even still do that? Just anything, oh, that'll be good in a sermon. And it's ridiculous for a guy who had no opportunity to preach. But I just sensed God had spoken. I was pitching my tent in the land of promise. Now, my call isn't your call, but are you pitching your tent? Sammy and I believe that God has spoken to us, that one day uh, he wants to give us... Uh, um, we're incredibly blessed. We've got a beautiful house, but we can't fit very many people in it. And we believe God has said to us that one day he wants to give us a place where we're going to be able to lead retreats and do hospitality and mentoring and a whole bunch of things. I have no idea how it's going to happen. But every now and then we're clearing stuff out. Our boys don't need the bunk bed anymore, so we're, part, you know, we're taking it to pieces. And we're like, do we take it to the dump or put it on eBay and all that stuff? And I'm like, no, no, no let's, let's store it in the garage. Sammy's going, why do you want to... Because one way, we're going to need it soon. She's like, what are you talking? Don't you remember? God's going to give us a place where we're going to need a bunk bed. We're going to need lots of bunk beds. We'll kick ourselves. Some of you guys, I know, are suddenly thinking, oh, good, this is the ultimate excuse for, like, never throwing everything away and storing everything. That's not what this is. Pitch your tent in the land of hope. As well as knowing what God has said to you, you have to know what God is like. And that is because... God's promises are generally slow. The, the miracles very rarely happen fast. And, and therefore, when you are going through those long slog days and weeks and months and years of waiting and praying and asking and longing and pitching your tent, you have to remember God is faithful or you'll just give up. The one who promised is Faithful, that's what it says in verse 11. Abraham and Sarah considered him faithful who had made the promise. And they died without really seeing the fulfillment of most of what God had promised for them. They might be surprised that 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, we'd be here now talking about them as these great examples of faith. They'd kind of managed to have a kid and some grandkids, and you know what they can be like. You know, and they're like, is this it? This isn't exactly the stars of the sky and the sun. But they, but, but they, 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 were, they knew God was faithful, and so they trusted that he would bring his word to fruition. That's why it's good to come together and worship. 
Because when we worship, I don't know about you, those are the moments of gear shift where I remember the world doesn't actually revolve around me and my feelings and my thoughts and my preferences. The world revolves around God. <laughs> and he is the rock of ages. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the reliable one. He is faithful to his promises. He is the word. He is the foundation of all reality. And so we come back and remember he is faithful. Where do you get faith from? The revelation of the faithfulness of God. The more you look at him, the more you go, I feel safe. I know that you're with me. I know that you're for me. I know that you're powerful. I know you can answer my prayers. We find faith not by clenching our buttocks and trying to muster it up, not by clapping for fairies. We find faith by meditating on the faithfulness of God. That's why fellowship's important as well. Because faith is contagious. There are people here who just inspire faith in me. When I spend time with them, Danny Adams, he's one. You know, I go see Daniel. Daniel, I'm really discouraged. I feel a bit broken. You spend about 10 minutes with Dan. You come out going, we can conquer the world. You know, we, we need one another to help find strength. The Arthies, they're like that. They, they give you faith. Remember the faithfulness of God. I love that song that we sing by House Fires based on 2 Corinthians 1.20. Faithful you are. Faithful forever you will be. All your promises are yes and amen. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is in your faithfulness. There is a certain recklessness to faith. God speaks and we obey. But it isn't a mindless recklessness. It is a recklessness rooted in the word of God and the character of God. The faithfulness of God. And I look at this in our own life. You'll have your own story of uh, 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 faith too. But I think about how we were busy and doing all sorts of great stuff. And God spoke to us and said... Go and just start to explore Europe. I have something for you. And we cancelled everything. We couldn't explain to everyone. This is way back in 1999. We couldn't explain what we were doing. I remember Roger Ellis going, so you just want a long holiday? I'm like, not really. I feel like God's telling. And we began to just travel around Europe and ended up in Hanhut one day. And that was the beginning of the 24-7 prayer movement. God spoke. We obeyed. We didn't fully know what it looked like. But we're still living with the consequences. I think about 2004 and 24-7 is exploding around the world and I'm crazy busy and we only had about two members of staff and demands everywhere. And then God spoke and told Sammy and me to move to America for a, a, a while. And you can imagine how that went down in the office. Are you joking? We're already struggling. <laughs> I'm so glad we did because... A church got planted by accident during that year that's now thriving and leading people to Jesus in America. And, and our whole U.S. operation got started, and we had a fantastic year. And then God spoke to us again and told us to move to Guildford uh, very supernaturally. And, and we hadn't really been expecting that. And I'm so glad we obeyed the word of God because look at you lot and look at all that's happening and look at this beautiful place that we get uh, to live. And I could go on. God speaks we obey, and there is a sort of recklessness about obedience, but it is not mindless. It is rooted, as I say, in the faithfulness of God. And, 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 and this room is full of people like that. Mike and Jazz are still in process. 
but God spoke to them they, to, to end the tenancy on the place they were currently living because he said, I'm calling you to go and live in a slightly different part of town where, where there's particularly more focused needs. And, and so they, they have sort of handed in their notice, but they don't yet know where they're going. They are just like Abraham. They are stre- stepping out, but they don't quite know what that's going to look like. I think of um, James and Julia Thomas. You know, God's speaking to them about human trafficking. And when they could have had a really nice, lovely life, instead they start to pour all their time and emotion and energy and money into fighting human trafficking and launch or help launch justice and care. I think of the Slins moving to Ibiza and others with them. I think about those who got baptized a couple of weeks ago. I think about Steve saying, I was in rehab and I called out to God. I was in the lowest of the low. I said, you've got to rescue me. And he said, God reached in, he's rescued me. And I was just moved, deeply, deeply moved then to receive communion. The broken body from Steve who had just been giving his testimony about how he had been broken and Jesus was putting back together. He is beginning his journey in the faithfulness of God. And we see this in Abraham and Sarah too. Finally, the third and final question. The first is what has God said? The second is what's God like? And the third and final one is where am I heading? It says in verse 16 of Abraham and Sarah, they were longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Let me say this very clearly. Many of God's promises will only ultimately be fulfilled in eternity. This is where the people who abuse this teaching and get into the prosperity stuff of God's going to give you a private jet by next Thursday. This is where they go wrong. They are just thinking in this life. But the Bible teaches very clearly that there will come a day When every prayer will be answered, every godly dream will be fulfilled, every tear will be dried, every stronghold will be broken, every injustice will be put right. But it won't all be in this life. In this life, we are called to live as xenoi, as strangers, as sojourners, as refugees, as those who don't quite fit because we belong in another land. And it is vital that we nurture an eternal perspective if we are to understand faith and faithfulness and the fulfillment of God's promises. Abraham and Sarah were just faithful with God's promises right to the end of their lives. On the day that they died, they could see some of God's miraculous inbreaking, but not all of it. They continued even through death in faithfulness. And we see in Abraham and Sarah, not just these great kind of heroes of faith who God spoke and they obeyed and bang, it all happened. We see people who instead, day by day, for weeks and months and years and the rest of their lives, kept plodding. They just kept plodding. They just didn't stop. One of the greatest gifts God wants to give to every one of us here is plodding. He calls you to be a plodder. Turn to the person next to you and say, keep plodding. Keep pl-. It's one of the great marks of faith and faithfulness is you just don't stop. You're bloody minded. You're saying, I know God's done some stuff. I know he hasn't done it all yet, and I'm just going to keep plodding. What does it look like to say, I know God's spoken, and I'm going to obey? It means plodding. 
What does it mean to say, I know God's faithful even though life is full of pain and disappointment, discouragement and apparently answered prayers? You keep plodding. Just don't give up one day, one prayer, one risk too soon. Amen? A eulogy to plodding. And so I finish with this example of William Carey, the great apostle to India. Some call him the father of modern missions. Not true, it was Count Zinzendorf, but that's another story. That's just because he was a Baptist, and the Baptists want to claim that. Anyway, and, uh, yeah. and um, so William Carey, a polymath, a linguist, an economist, an agriculturalist, an evangelist, a risk-taker, you know, a cobbler who was spoken to by the Lord and went and really shaped an entire nation. This great hero of the faith, just before he died, he said, look, if anyone should see fit to write a biography of my life... <laughs> He said, this is the thing I want to say. These are his actual words. I can plod. To this I owe everything. Not all the great connections, the millions of pounds in today's money, the great initiatives. He said, I just kept plodding. And we keep plodding. And one day we plod right up to death's door. We don't exactly knock on it, but it seems to open for us anyway. We're not sure if we push, uh, push through or we fall through. And then we plod on and we're blinking. And we see the faithful one. And we say, you were faithful. You never failed me. You were true to all your words. And we look back. I loved Christian's line last year. He said, I'll be, he said, I'll be in the front of the queue with the list of questions I want answered. And we get to the front of the queue. And then we look at him. And I've got a hunch we're going to throw our list of questions away and just we're going to be saying, I don't, back then I wanted this moment so much. Now all I want is to be with you. Thank you that you've been faithful. Thank you that your word is true. I wonder if we could just stand together. I'd love us just to finish by singing again that, that beautiful uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 song, Faithful You Are. But let's do it mindful of the challenges that I've sought to bring from the Word of God today. First of all, for some of us here, I believe God is calling you to pitch your tent in the land of hope to take a brave step into the unknown, to go to the spiritual gym and begin to work those faith muscles, not just think, one day I'm going to be a hero of faith. What is the next risk you could take in obedience to God's word that will help you to grow your faith muscles? And I know it's a big deal. It might be quite scary for some. I wonder if there are others here that um, it's not so much about uh, taking a brave step, but it's about taking authority. If you're honest, you've been clapping for fairies a lot. And the Lord is calling you to get a little more intentional, to get hold of his word, to get hold of his promises. I just want to throw this out. Fathers, you are called to spiritually father your kids, not just biologically. You can't just outsource it even to the church. 
have you taken time? Do you know why God made your kids? Have you gone and got God's word for them? Because if you haven't, what are you praying into their lives? What are you discipling into their lives? So for some of us, it's about stopping just clapping for fairies and starting to take authority, take the promises of God. Maybe there are people here, in fact, I'm sure there are people here who feel discouraged in faith, disappointed, heartbroken even, questioning God's faithfulness. Where, how costly this message is. And finally, there may be some here who are just called to keep plodding. <laughs> You're going, I'm up for that. I can plod. But you know that you need fresh grace to keep plodding because it's not easy and the road is long and you get tired and you do get discouraged. So whichever of those is for you, would you just hold your hands out in front of you now? And we'll just take a moment. Maybe you can just talk to the Lord and just tell the Lord. what it is that you're responding to. in the name of the Father who is utterly faithful and in the name of the Son who is the word of God that we obey and in the name of the Spirit who empowers us and leads us and speaks to us and guides us may you know the gift of faith and the revelation of God's faithfulness May he bind up your broken hearts and enable you to trust. May he give you strength to keep plodding. And may we live our lives to the glory of God as strangers in this world bound for a better land. Amen.